0: This is Spade, Spoon, Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith from seed to spade to spoon. I'm Brian Sellers Peterson, coming to you from the snowy Cascade Mountains, uh, about 80 miles east of uh, Seattle, Washington.
1: And I'm Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Indianapolis. And we um, are on the lands of many native indigenous peoples, including the Kickapoo. And it is wonderful to be joined back up today as we take a look back at our last three podcasts about how we steward our church land, which is perfect right now because we are just a week out before Advent season and many congregations I know have been talking about stewardship, but we wanna talk about stewardship and land today.
0: Our first episode way back in September was with the renowned Norman Wiersbach, who has just put out a new book called The Agrarian Spirit, and he's got a super long title. He's distinguished, um, and he sits in a chair at Duke Divinity School in North Carolina. But uh, we had a really good conversation with Norman, and we'll come back to Norman in a little bit to kick off this conversation.
1: And then we had um, Ian McSweeney from the Agrarian Trust and Canon Abbott Bailey, excuse me, who um, was the interim canon to the ordinary in Virginia and is now moving on to serve as partnership canon in the Diocese of Western New York and Northwest Pennsylvania. And it was just so beautiful how those conversations all built upon one another.
0: And then we had to come back and have a a bit of a purple conversation. Um, I got to sit out a little bit of it. Well, Jennifer talked with Megan Traquire, who is the Bishop of Northern California. And we talked about, you know, garden tours that she gets to take when she visits all the variety of church land, all the way from wine country into the desert, into the mountains of Northern California.
1: I mean, for those who have not listened to those episodes, let's recommend right up front that folks go and find those episodes and listen to them. Or I think they're worthy of a re listen because they were so great. I thought great conversations. Yeah.
0: Excuse the pun, but they're definitely evergreen um, podcasts that will will be good, you know, tomorrow, next week, next year, uh, five years from now. So uh, they're goodies. And I will uh, put them up on our Facebook page, um, the the direct links. And you can always uh, email us at spadespoonsoulpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got episode ideas or if you're having problems finding the podcast, I can get you there. So just be in touch and make sure that when you do Um, go to our podcast, like it, make a comment, say how wonderful it is. Um, We love getting feedback from you.
1: Fantastic.
0: Well, you know what? I'd I'd like to start out with Norman. Since we started with him on this series, you know, he said some very, I'm going to use a $5, $10 word. but It was very precious uh, in, in terms of what we've, they're talking about, and something that's really important to us at Spade, Spoon, Soul. This is Norman's quote Faith institutions, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, all have land. Religious organizations are some of the biggest landowners in the world. Now, this again, remember, this is Norman speaking. But I say amen. But back to Norman. I'm thinking about how land prices have soared, 20,000, 25,000 per acre. You can farm that land the rest of your life and never pay it off. We have young people, not just young people, but all sorts of people that want to grow nutritious food. They want to grow flowers, grow orchards, but they can't afford land. It's way too expensive. So the question is whether or not faith institutions churches, synagogues, temples, etc., with available land, a lot of it in cities where land prices are even higher than 25,000 an acre, can help. What if they were to make this land available to people who want to cultivate it, grow on it, grow flowers for the community, create green spaces that are places of rest? There are so many ways that churches can use their properties to contribute to the healing of communities. So um, that one, that that quote needs to be framed for a lot of us. But there's also the flip side. Um, We can make it available to the community, but we can also immediately do different things in how we um, care and steward our land. Don't get me going again. But, you know, I'm a broken record, and I see people cringe when I bring up turf grass on church property.
1: Do you see a lot of turf grass on church property? I've only seen that in a couple of places, but you get around well, a lot more than I do.
0: Yeah, I, I, I see it. I, I Maybe I tend to obsess about it, so I see it in my dreams as well. But... Um, I'm sometimes gratified when I do see turf grass that it's, it's being used for community soccer or for um, I use turf grass to play fetch with my, my Aussie um, cattle dog. Uh, so, you know, there's important reasons to have turf grass, but sometimes, you know, we could do something completely different with what is out there
1: all right and so context is everything i I know the one place i was thinking of that uses turf grass is a church that doesn't have much land to speak of and they needed a place for the kids to play on the playground safely and so they didn't want to use wood chips so they put down turf grass but what you're talking about is larger expanses of land and how we use it and so um, what i'm hoping we can talk about is how do we consider these possibilities in these different contexts And the thing that I remember most from Norman's time with us on the podcast was his belief that every church can consider something about how they use their land and about how no matter what size this land might be, how much space, that we have these opportunities to do a pastoral work of creating a place of beauty in hard spaces. And that is just, I've continued to speak about that and reflect on it, since our podcast time with him. Like every church, every religious, if you've got a building, you've got a little bit of land, this is not just an opportunity to mow the grass, but it's an opportunity to be intentional about bringing a different spirit to the location that might be ministering to someone who is in need of some beauty.
0: I love that there's a church in outside Philadelphia and I'm gonna get to it someday. Uh, St. Peter's had the great big cemetery next to it, and they quit mowing it because the mowers were sort of, you know, harming, you know, degrading the, these these really old um, markers, uh, grave markers. And so they brought in a herd of sheep um, to, to uh, you know, to, to mow the grass. And I just think that's such a beautiful image of, of them caring for this sacred space in a way that brings in sheep, which is an important symbol uh, um, in, in our church. And, uh, you know, I think of, I've, you know, um, you know, we can do so much more in terms of, um, you know, pollination. Um, you know, if if you're stumped with what to do with your land, maybe you just need to get a wild flower mix of seeds and um, mm. spread it around and let you know nature take its course.
1: You know, Brian, I think um, <laughs> what I love about talking with you about these things is that I literally the sky is the limit of possibilities. And so, as you were talking about the sheep mowing the 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 um, churchyard. I was like, isn't there some church that feels called to be making goat cheeses that has some goats that can be carted around to various places to mow the grass like they do in Berkeley, California, and then make goat milk milk soaps and goat cheeses and feed their community off of that. Like there's just a way of thinking about the cycle, the full cycle of of, um, growing food and um, serving the land that we have not thought about because we're so far removed from our agrarian roots but there is there are a lot of possibilities and those planting some pollinator seeds is like that's the easy entry in right like anybody can do oh. that okay and here's also
0: have challenge on the goat idea okay because of uh, you know out here uh, in Seattle the department of transportation hires this goat herder to bring in his goats to you know chop down all all the um you the, know, brush, right? the brush you know yeah. growing up alongside the roads and I just think you know we need to think about church enterprise you know at the same time so you, know, perfect, you yeah. know maybe a church can get a herd of goats and um go and you know take care of brush we use goats up here where I live in the mountains, you don't just, you know, because of fire danger, we've got to uh, cut back. But, you know, that guy who's got the goat herd, he melts his goats and he's, he's making cheese on the other end of this business. He runs uh clear clearing brush.
1: Um, I'm just saying so
0: I, I... <laughs> we can go crazy on some ideas, can't we?
1: Well, right. And so, it, um, you know, I. I think that's the creative space that we're called to be in right now. We have some real critical problems and challenges. And yet, when I think about young people and their desire to figure out how they're going to make a living in this world and what it costs to farm, like how do we be thinking about the ways in which the church has been historically rooted in some of these enterprises? You know, I think what's the monastery out in Western New York out by Elmira that you know has goats. Like the, this is a thing that we've done for centuries. We've been divorced from it. And it may be that we're called into some new entrepreneurial creative spaces that help us to make the best of our church lands, that stewards animals in a healthy way, that feeds our communities. And I think, I mean, I don't know. I I know folks are thinking about this, but um, maybe we just need to keep dreaming and resourcing some of these possibilities because you can't scale all of it up. But I think there are places where that kind of idea could just take off like wildfire.
0: And I think that the symbolism is important. The inspiration is important. You know, you think about the young kid that grows up at St. Peter's, you know, seeing sheep um, and hanging out with the sheep, you know, before and after Sunday school. And, um, you know, they're going to grow up having a very different outlook of what the church is. Maybe they'll become a shepherd somewhere. Maybe they'll start a business um, doing something completely different. So I think that there's a lot of different things that can be done. I I love the fact that uh, your son's school, St. Richard's in Indianapolis, has chickens um, at the school, at the Episcopal School. And I just had the chance um, to go to the Diocese of, of East Tennessee and visited the Episcopal School of Knoxville. They have chickens. They're actually started a vineyard on their, their school grounds. So, um, you know, some sacramental wine maybe. They've got beehives and actually they have a indoor beehive where the bees can come from the outside into the classroom. Um, and it's so crazy all these, Really? All these, it is crazy talk, but once you see it, um uh-huh. you know it it really makes so much sense. Um
1: no Hillary Raining would love this. I, I can <laughs> I
0: think, yeah. there's another podcast that needs right. to uh that is evergreen, um, mm-hmm. is is Hillary's. And um you know, on the subject of, um, you know, how we steward our land, I, I am always reminded of a resolution that was passed the General Convention back in Austin, 2018. And it was spearheaded by our Frenuria uh, Parish, um, who um, is the farmer, priest, entrepreneur at Plainsong Farm in the Diocese of, of Western Michigan, and um, but this resolution, I think we've got to polish it up a little bit, and maybe reintroduce it. Um, uh, yeah, can they, you read it off, everyone? What? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out a couple resolves out of this. This is Do 53 for you governance nerds out there, um, and the title is "Call for Model Policies for Sustainable Churchland Use." And um, the first resolve says that the 79th General Convention recommends that all dioceses, faith communities, and institutions create partnerships enabling the use of church-owned land for regenerative agriculture and biodiversity conservation projects in order to sequester carbon and to mitigate climate change and be it further. Now, I'm going to skip down to the third resolve. The general convention requests that each diocese consider the potential for utilization of church property for new ministries, integrating the care of creation, particularly in situations where properties are no longer regularly utilized. That's just a a little bit of a taste. you got any reflections on that from your uh, preambulations around the Diocese of Indianapolis? Because, You've got more than a few examples of that.
1: Well, I just think, I mean, that resolution, again, hits all of the things you've been talking about already, about increasing biodiversity and increasing just the, the rethinking our spaces and how we use them um, for the good of the creation. And so we had our diocesan convention a few weeks ago, and I got a chance to catch up with the folks at St. Peter's in Lebanon and their um, apiary and, the ways in which they're continuing to grow what they do. And so um, what I admired about that is that they are continuing to think about new ways to expand what they're doing, moving their hives, kind of growing the number of of hives they offer, working as development encroaches around their property, but building partnerships um, with folks in the city of Indianapolis, as well as the country that makes the most um, appropriate use of their land while paying attention to things like crop rotation and giving the land a rest. And the, the way they talked about it to people who are coming to the convention who had never been there just created so much excitement and, um, and another, uh, gave people ideas about like, okay, this church is doing this thing out in the country, but I actually can do something that, that helps us to rethink about what we're doing with our land. And I, The resolution, I think, gives us a way to start a conversation in places that, again, didn't think that they could do anything or haven't been inspired um, enough to start on their own. But here's some words to get people thinking creatively. So, so I don't know. I think we've barely scratched the surface of that resolution. And so I hope the idea of reintroducing it gets some legs because I think this is the work that we're called to do right now. I mean, this is our moment to... We think in the, the, the um, broadest of terms, how do we aid the care of creation using all of these spaces, all of this land that we have in the Episcopal church? Anyway, that's kind of what I would say off the top. Well, you know,
0: and, and who's the head, who's the master beekeeper there? I can't think of his name.
1: Uh, Chuck Daly.
0: Chuck Daly is like, you know, at the top. Of the beekeeping world in the state of Indiana. I mean, he's a master beekeeper, which is oh, yeah. no small feat. Um, but the stuff he's doing is, is amazing. So, not only just our church property being stewarded, but how do we steward our human resource mm. assets that we have in our church? Because they're Chuck Daly's, these just amazing experts in all variety of agrarian ministry, um, you know, when it comes to spade, spoon, soul, we, we've got, you know, some pretty amazing, you know, chefs, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. as a human resource in, in in our church. So, um, I, I just, you know, St. Peter's is a wonderful model. Not every church could do what St. Peter's in Lebanon is doing, but they sure could be inspired to do something there.
1: Well, that's right. And so I think, I mean, in some ways, places like uh, Plainsong Farm or St. Peter's Lebanon, they are the full service kind of example of what you can do, right? And then there are ways in which you can kind of chunk it out, right? Like not everybody's going to grow wheat, but we have bakers who know how to take the ingredients that are grown in our on our lands and turn them into nourishing food. And so I'm a, I mean, this is, this is when I I yearned for the old days of parish ministry, where we would have the cooking classes for all all ages and we would collect the recipes of the elders and pull the crops out of the little side garden we had out of the parking lot and cook things. Like this was ministry that engaged um, our young people in some really beautiful ways and created intergenerational relationships that were really powerful. And so, you know, we, we were not going to have bees or, um, be able to draw maple sap but out of a small strip of a section of a parking lot we could grow some things and we could we had a kitchen and we could cook some things and make explicit our ties to the land and i think that's you know that's where the there are no excuses like everybody everyone can can do do something. something yeah
0: so yeah along that line uh good news gardens which is a project of uh the Creation, Care, and Evangelism Departments in the Presiding Bishop's Office had a webinar with um, someone from the Good News Garden in Port Huron, uh, Michigan, in the Diocese of East Michigan, or is it Eastern Michigan? Well, Eastern. Well, yeah. Eastern. And um, she teamed up with someone from Michigan State University, Go Spartans, um, extension. <laughs> Uh, who's a, a food preservation and canning expert. And so they did a webinar um, on on canning. And from this, they, the church has a commercial grade kitchen that they actually um, let, you know, local entrepreneurs mm-hmm. use. Uh, because, you know, some startup uh, catering businesses, you know, they don't, they can't. Have their own kitchen um, so you know they are out there spending top dollar to rent but you know there's this church in pure huron that they can and so they actually made apple butter um, uh, on this little webinar the good news gardens had Same. and um, you know again you know county extension services are one of those resources that we can partner with
1: Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm getting an idea about that. Cause I, you know, I, I believe that canning is one of those things that you should always do in company, like canning on your own is such a lot of work and a bit of a slog, totally worth it, but it's a lot of work. And so we have these commercial kitchens or larger kitchens than most people have in there in the average home where you can have groups of five people canning and maybe showing this webinar to folks so they can get the instruction they need. And then you spend the Saturday afternoon canning up food that gets shared across the congregation with whatever it is that's in season or whatever's fun to make so that there's an offering that can be made. Like these are these are old ideas, right? Like I'm not sure whether this was ever a thing in the church, but the idea of canning is an old one. But we can do this as a communal activity that roots and grounds us using perhaps ingredients that were grown within our locations, within our diocese, and then getting to know one another, building community, making food together, and sharing the excess. I mean, it's it's, it's totally Eucharistic, right?
0: Let me, <laughs> yeah, let me go back to this resolution. Uh-huh. It says, you know, church owned land. I should say church-owned kitchens, um
1: uh-huh.
0: you know, to do biodiversity projects in order to sequester carbon and mitigate climate change. Well think about canning for a second. Now um in sort of rural Nebraska where my people are from, my grannies would have never even imagined that you have a fresh tomato in the middle of the winter. I don't think the grocery store even sold them. Uh, but they had plenty of canned tomatoes down in in the cellar that they put up um and and i think that's something else we can do if we're going to mitigate climate change we gotta quit eating tomatoes that have been flown in from from california um and and you know be canning our own tomatoes in the fall i'm talking to myself i just i'm feeling guilty now
1: well i mean (laughs) I don't touch tomatoes after September. So I i mean, I just, I, I, I've been doing this for so long in terms of the locavore eating. And i it's not 100%, but I remember in the early aughts learning the difference between a fresh tomato and one that's been quote unquote ripened on the truck. And so we just don't even serve them unless they are, have already been preserved. But that it took us a while to come to that, right? And a lot of that was taking a look at our Like, where do we live? What is grown locally here in upstate New York? If I was in California, I would be making different decisions. But where we moved to in upstate New York, where we became aware of locavore eating, eating within your food shed about 125 miles around from where we lived, a little radius we would draw. We're like, you can't get tomatoes in November. So we stopped eating them because we only wanted them fresh. But it took us a, a while to kind of learn how to how to shift our habits. And again, that's a conversation that I think our churches can have about how do we feed and nourish ourselves knowing that food is so personal and cultural and all of those things. And yet, as we care for the planet, like there are some different decisions we might want that we can easily make um, and then struggle to live with it as we try to eat within our, our food sheds and save the, save the earth. So, off topic. You know, I, don't, I hope you don't mind about that. Like we're, oh no, no, I you know, don't. No, we we're not going to stick on the topic. But it's all I'm really a, I'm a,
0: I got to tee off on that because <laughs> I was immediately reminded that Iolani School in Honolulu, it's an Episcopal school, they have a cooking contest um, using local food. Uh-huh. And so they measure food mileage of oh, all yeah. the ingredients. And if you get something from off-island, you know, um, that's going to put your score way too high. So, you know, kids, so it was zero um, miles if the kids could bring it from their home garden. And, you know, they learned where, you know, there were, you know, food from different parts of the island that they could get. And they had a competition. Um, you could make the tastiest local Food with the least amount of food mileage.
1: So
0: I uh, love that. <laughs> I love you know, and I got to read and uh, then call Samopoulos, who's now the the chaplain at Bishop School in San Diego. She told me that story when I was on vacation after I had flown there and and burned a bunch of carbon to get <laughs> on vacation. I heard that story, but I love it.
1: But I love it because I remember 20 years ago, we talked about how to eat locally and folks were like, I'm not giving up my bananas. What about salt? Do I need to go into the, into, you know, the great salt lake to get some salt right? You know, how do we eat in a way that actually honors some really good intentions? And so, you know, when you live in Hawaii, you're going to have some limitations about how your food comes to you, but it's the, the averaging things out that I love about that example. You know, you're trying to do some offsets. And, and more than that, I think it's the consciousness, like realizing our food, whether it's grown in the ground in our backyard or on our countertop windowsill, like there there are implications for all of those choices. Um, and, there, and, and there's a faith element to it for us uh, that I think we're, we're, we would do well to continue to think about because then if we're more conscious of like the food in that way, and gonna get us back to our topic, then we think about, all of the land that we pass and how we use it and how we might um, think more consciously of it. So in a place like Indiana, where there's tons of cornfields, I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh, we have hungry people. We're growing lots of corn for ethanol and feed. Those are choices we're making. Is there anything the churches could do to mitigate some of that with all this land we have? And you know we're trying, but... Those con- those questions come to me because I'm asking the questions about who gets to have the luxury of having really good, loc- locally grown, fresh vegetables and pastured meats, and um, as a just a justice issue, like I would want that to be available to everybody.
0: Yeah, and I think that we always talk about practicing what we preach,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you know, we're we're very as a church engaged. In public policy, and you know, getting the government um, to do um, things that are, are going to counteract, you know, climate change, and we need to do that. But we also need to do what we can do. And I'm this is this is a I'm always reminded of the famous words of Desmond Tutu: "How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time." And so, you know, doing those simple things like canning food, you know, instead of buying a carrot, you know, growing a carrot, all those little things add up and they're significant. And our our children, our grandchildren, you know, see us doing that and, you know, they will grow up differently because of the actions we take today.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I I would hope that we can, again, get this conversation about our lands back up on the radar because I'm aware, I've mentioned this before, that I'm in conversations all the time about what do we do with our church buildings and real estate prices and the transfer of building resources to the next generation, and and that's one set of conversations on the one hand, and then we're talking in this space about the land that surrounds these buildings typically, and what do we do with that? Are we just going to mow grass? covered with turf or we're going to grow food or you know are we using parking lots for cars instead of feeding people but this desire I have to bring these conversations more closely together so that we could be looking at it more holistically that's you know so I wonder with the, the work we might do as a churchwide coming to general convention with new resolutions maybe there's a way to ignite a more comprehensive holistic conversation about it because I have a feeling we might not get to the places we might be most able to go if we're in our silos with it.
0: Yeah. I want to kind of go to the session we had with Abbott and Ian, um, particularly the work of the Grurian Trust of getting people to uh, put their land into trust, you know, because, you know, there's farmers now um, who don't have children to, you know, inherit the land and, you know, a growing number of them are putting it into trust uh, so that they have an income. But the people who are then farming their land are practicing, you know, sort of regenerative agriculture. And the agrarian trust is particularly working with, you know, young farmers who can't get, you um, bank loans to purchase land. Um, and so they've turned into sort of virtual sharecroppers yeah, because they, they will rent land to farm and they'll really build that land and um, through their practice. And, and then their lease runs out and they're off looking for another parcel of land to farm. But you know, issues around tenure are important. And I think we've got members of our church um, I visited a, a couple of places in the diocese of Northern California where uh, farmers are trying to figure out, you know, what to do with their land, um, you know, after they're gone and working with the agrarian trust um, that is really focused on, on on this, I think is a really important thing. And I think we also have, have churches. Um, you know, we have an aging population in our church. It's just a fact. And, you know, that, that a lot of churches that have large land holdings um, that are just fallow, where they could put that land into trust, um, receive income from that land, but have someone farm it or have someone put an orchard into it. Uh, the church doesn't necessarily always have to be the doers, they can be the enablers for other people to do things.
1: And I think that's, you know, that dynamic is not new to us. We just haven't thought about it in this particular space, right? So, how do we think about collaborating in ways that leverage all of the resources of our communities and our land could be in that conversation as well? You know, like we know when we talk about feeding communities through food pantries and such, maybe talked about this previously, sometimes there's a sense of loss that we can't host our own food pantry. I think Bishop Taquere talked about this a little bit, like another church takes it over and it's seen as this loss, but I'm thinking we should think about these things as not losses for us, but perhaps more about how we're collaborating and making an important thing possible by using other partners. And as we think about our land, you know, the, the trust idea is kind of in that same realm. You know, we, we know when it's too much for us to take care of on our own. And the, other, the, the only options to us available are not just selling it off, it's the partnering in different creative ways. And if we have the capacity in our congregations to, to even do those kind of partnerships, we should, we should do it. But I, I, my sense is that we've never considered it very often. And I think we need to put that in the new pot of possibilities.
0: Yeah, I want to go back. You mentioned at the beginning about, you know, coming into, you know, stewardship um, campaigns, you know, uh, and how can we start looking at our stewardship holistically in terms of our financial resources? And, and you know, how do we blend that? How do we bring together the stewardship of our buildings? Um, our kitchens, our land, um, you know, I, I think is an exciting um, frontier uh, for the church. And um, I, I would love to get, if anyone's out there that's got some examples of what you're doing in terms of bringing together, you know, your, your traditional church pledge campaigns, for stewardship and stewarding of your assets, your physical assets, and your even your human resource assets, how do we look? How you're doing that holistically? I'd, I'd love, I'd love to hear those stories.
1: It has a the element of taking the our typical stewardship metaphors and making them real. You know, we often use. I mean, think about the the, the great harvest dinners we would have to celebrate our stewardship campaigns. Right, like there are ways in which these images are so deeply embedded in our tradition around the stewardship in gathering and harvest this and that. And like, we could be doing it for real, right? And some communities are, but I think we have taken a lot of these concepts and have really kind of kept them in the realm of metaphor and poetry when actually the plan is depending on us to actually be doing something more concrete um, with those metaphors.
0: Anyway, lots of musings. <laughs> lots of musings. So I'm gonna I'm gonna loop back because we're getting ready for um, Advent and and Christmas, and um, just I have been when I was brainstorming episodes. Um, I thought, oh, I would love to find a church that has a Christmas tree farm. Oh right. You know, as an episode we could have in December. And I still haven't found a church with a Christmas tree farm. But the Episcopal School of Knoxville has started a Christmas tree farm on their (laughs) school property. So um, (laughs) I just, you know, as we sort of uh, get ready to say goodbye um, (laughs) and finish this episode off, I just want everyone to have, you know, have a great, advent and christmas and um you were recording this uh, before thanksgiving so jennifer have a wonderful uh, Thank thanksgiving. You.
1: i'm looking forward to uh picking up our local turkey tomorrow and feasting with family and friends we're still fine-tuning the menu but um oh my goodness the the thing that i can't wait to do is to spend two days cooking so I'm hoping you have a great Thanksgiving as well. And especially all of you out there, wherever you are, I hope you've got good people around you and some good food on your plate.
0: Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. And, you know, like I said earlier, you can always check us out on our Facebook page. You can email us at spadesfoodsoulpodcast at gmail.com
1: yeah and we want to thank our producer we are so grateful for derek weston who is a presbyterian pastor and community organizer urban farmer filmmaker um, author he is um, quite talented in helping our podcast sound as good as it does and of course we're always thankful to jay sidebotham for our artwork and ryan lee for the movie music that opens and closes our show
0: So until next time, we hope you will find ways to connect your soul to your spade or your spoon or both. All right. Take
1: care of everybody.
0: Okay. Bye.